Well, the computers are shut down. Who would have thunk? But you won't be able to see some of the verses. If you wanted to go get a Bible, it might be helpful. We're going to look at two passages from the scriptures today. Or your devices. First one's going to be Daniel 7, and then it's going to be Romans 11. First one is going to be Daniel chapter 7, and then we're going to get to Romans 11. I had to encourage you as we do, you know, we're halfway through the study of Daniel. If you're new here today, we've covered some marvelous stories in Daniel. Andrew told on the lion's den, not the lion's den, the fiery furnace. Then there was the, um, the destruction of King Belshazzar and the Babylon Empire. And then the lion's den is what Brian taught on last. We kind of shift to a different mode in Daniel. All good stories showing the, the power and the protection that God has on his people. But now we move into some future visions that Daniel experiences. So pray for me as I kind of share this. I'm going to try to cover seven and eight. That's a, that's a lot. So we're going to touch on the big stuff. Um, we do have, for this chapter, in chapter eight, we have kind of a little diagram of that are on the back there. I don't want you getting it now because you'll be reading it. I want you to pay attention. But this is really good. Um, It's by a gal professor at Gordon Cromwell where Brian went, so this is where he got it. But Luane and I and the family got to hear her a couple years ago at Camp of the Woods. An excellent gal in the study of the Old Testament. I agree with these things here. So you can get to that on the end. Uh, You can go home and read chapter 7 and 8. Some of you have already done that. Excuse me, but in light of what I want to share today, it might fill in some of the blanks. From here on out, I think it's important that we understand that Daniel wants us to understand the importance of God's chosen people, not just from the Old Testament, but in the future. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is God's chosen people. We cannot forget that. In our day today, some theologians have the idea, they call it replacement theology, that the church replaces Israel. I want to show you a little bit. I'm not a theologian, but I've studied for a long time. I do not agree with that. Israel is very much a part of God's plan for the future. We're going to hopefully touch on that a little bit. (coughs) I apologize. This summer I've had, I think it's allergies, but 
mucus all the time. Anybody else have mucus all the time? I won't have that in heaven. <laughs> Amen to that. So, it's important that we understand, and Daniel does that well for us, essential that we understand God's place for the Jewish people and Israel as a nation because it's in God's eternal plan and journey with them. We as the church, the followers of Christ, certainly are a big part of God's plan, but we cannot eliminate the nation of Israel. And Daniel is one of the most powerful prophetic book in the scriptures next to Revelation that Brandon tried to teach us last week. That was cool. Um, it absolutely is a proof text for the accuracy and reliability of the Bible being true. And we're going to touch on that a little bit today. But let's just, let me share this with you just real quick as we get into this. The Bible predicts over 300 times the coming of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. Let me just give you seven here. The Bible predicts that Jesus the Messiah will be of the lineage of King David from the tribe of Judah. That's Isaiah 11, 1 to 5. He will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. He would come riding in on a donkey and a colt, Zechariah 9, 9. A friend would betray him, Psalm 41, 9. Others would cast lots for his clothing or gamble for them. Remember that at the cross? Psalm 22. The Jews would reject him, Isaiah 53, 3. And he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. That's seven. They say mathematically, just take eight predictions hundreds of years before Jesus. And the chances of one man fulfilling eight prophecies, and there's 300 or so, would be like taking a silver dollar, enough silver dollars, painting one red on the back, and putting those silver dollars over the state of Texas. And then we tell you, go pick the one that has the red paint on it. That's the odds of the prophecy that God has given to mankind to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that, and we don't need to pick out silver dollars. <clears throat> so chapters 7 and 8, let me give you an overall view. It's kind of like a flashback. In chapter 7 we see Daniel having a dream. And it's the first year of Belshazzar. 
Well, we know in chapter 6 in the lion's den, Babylon's not even around anymore. But he goes back, and while Belshazzar is reigning king of Babylon, Daniel has this dream. And he dreams, the vision is these four creatures that are on the back table. There's about 25 or 30. Only take one per family, although I think there should be enough here for everyone today. He has this dream, and it's very similar to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has in chapter 2. You remember the golden image? Head of gold, bronze, silver, feet of iron and clay. And the interpretation is the same. The only difference I would suggest to you is man sees himself as a great image of gold and silver. God looks at mankind and the nations and sees them as beasts because of their sinfulness, their rebellion against the holy God. I want to get into a little bit about the day that we live in. Hopefully I have time. That clock never stops. This week in the news, with the two tragedies and the shoes we have, the news was crying out, what can we do? And man has to come up with a lot of different answers. Anywhere from gun control to, I'm telling you, it was crazy. And Elaine and I are watching this on TV, and here's what I said. There's one word that man needs to do, and that's repent. We as a nation have said to God, we no longer want you. We don't want to trust in you. That's the tragedy. But America is not God's chosen land. God has used America powerfully for his purposes. But Israel is God's chosen people and chosen nation. And we need to remember that. We need to repent as a nation, but we've rebelled against God as a people here. And we're paying the price for that. You and I who are in Christ, who are not citizens of this land or this world, we need to pray. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray that our eyes will be open to understand how much they need God. Sadly to say, in the book of Revelation, four times as they go through the wrath of God poured upon them, God's heart is that they would repent. And four times it says, and they would not repent because of the obstinance of their heart. That's the problem. Christianity is a matter of the heart. And all hearts are sinful before God until they come by faith and believe in the one who has paid for their sins. That's our Savior and Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So the vision. You got a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a ten-horned beast. 
And the scriptures tell us the lion is Babylon. And that nation is gone. Then you have Media Persia representing the bear. You have the leopard representing Greece and the ten-horned beast representing Rome. And the Bible tells us that. Now this is a time period that's about 560 B.C. to the time of Rome, which ends in about 300 A.D. God's given us a look at the nations that will rule with power and might. Gentile nations that are going to do tremendous destruction against his people, Israel. Chapter 8 is a vision where we see Daniel in the palace of Susa, which is in Persia. So in this vision that he has during the third year of Belshazzar, are you staying with me? A little, little tight here. He has a vision that he's going to be in Persia. And we know from chapter 5 and chapter 6, that's exactly where he is. And in this vision, there is no, there is no bear. The bear's gone, which is, I think, kind of neat in Scripture too. It just fills that in. And he deals with, in chapter 8, Media Persia, like a ram, has two horns, one's longer than the other, because Media Persia was a two-power nation, but one was stronger than the other. That's the longer one, that's Persia. Then chapter 8 comes along, this, this goat, you don't think a goat is being powerful, but this goat doesn't touch the ground. It's so swift, and it represents Greece, and Alexander the Great, who we know by history conquered more land faster than anyone else. In the vision in chapter 7, he's a leopard, fast animal. And there's some horns on him, the one in the center being Alexander the Great but it tells us his kingdom doesn't last that long. Alexander the Great died at 32. From 22 to 32, he conquered vast, more land than anybody in a time period. But he didn't last. There were four generals that came up, and then they became four kings of Greece. One being Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, which some say, well, he was the Antichrist. What it says about Antiochus Epiphany is that he ruled a portion of the Greek Empire. So he was a type of an Antichrist, which we have many today. The scriptures talk about that. But the Antichrist, when we get to chapter 8, rules the whole earth. And I believe, and most scholars do, that's a future Antichrist, the Antichrist. It can be a little confusing, but it's very, very powerful too because God is prophesying who's going to rule as nations 
for a long period of time. But I want to go back to chapter 7. And here's one, if you have chapter 7, I want you to look at verse 9. We're going to start there. This is prior to the vision of the great beast with ten horns, and then there's a little horn that comes up, which is describing the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is boasting. Um, again, all Antichrists believe they're above everyone else, and they want to be as God. That's why Satan's behind all that, because that's his heart. I want to be like the Most High. And here's what it says. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Don't minimize what God's telling us in the scripture here. This is all vision, it's imagery. But God is pulling the curtains back for us and helping us to see what heaven is like in the thrones of heaven. The Ancient of Days takes his seat. When the Bible study on Saturday first studied this, we thought, well, this is Jesus. And I said, just stay with it. The Ancient of Days, the one who was before all time, he has watched all the different nations that have tried to rule this world. His clothing was as white as snow and his hair was like wool. It never ceases to amaze me when you read scripture over and over again, things just pop out. This was one for me. His clothing was as white as snow the hair of his head was like wool. Where else do we see that in Scripture? Isaiah, chapter 1, 18. In the rebellion of Israel, 700 B.C., Isaiah is saying, come, repent. And in chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. Come. That's the call of God to all people. Come, let us reason together. Let's talk about this. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool, white as snow. Same order. Let, let me get it right. Your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a marvelous picture. And I'll say it this way, and this is how I, I see this. All of Scripture everywhere has said no one will ever see God the Father. Jesus, even in the Old Testament, is the manifestation that all of us can see and touch that he represents God the Son, and he is the image of God the Father. God's a spirit. God the Father is a spirit. We may never see God the Spirit. We'll know him. We'll hear him. But here, the Father takes on imagery. And he's called the Ancient of Days. 
His clothing is white as snow. His head, white as like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Fire represents the presence of God and the power and purity of God. And its wheels were all ablaze, similar to what Elijah, who was caught up in a chariot, wheels ablaze, his power, his glory. A river was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon ten thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. If you go to Revelation 5, 11, and this is the neat part. Revelation 4 shows us the throne of God the Father. Then it gets to chapter 5 and the statement starts out, there's none worthy to open the seals. Who is worthy? And John has that time of weeping. And an angel comes and touches him and says, hang on there. There's someone who's worthy to open up the seals. The Lamb of God. And then it talks about how praiseworthy the Lamb is. And it says the exact same thing here with 10,000 upon 10,000. Again, the imagery is helping us understand what was in the time of Daniel is in the time of the end. This is the very presence of God, his power, his majesty, his glory, his honor. Let me read on. Then I continue to watch before the boastful words that the horn was speaking, the Antichrist, part of the vision of Rome. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire, the end time. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And that's the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, the media Persia. God didn't eliminate them. We'll go on to verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Who do you think that is? Jesus. New Testament talks about Jesus all the time as the Son of Man. He was coming with clouds of heaven. Does that sound familiar? The disciples. They're looking up as he's ascending to heaven and the angels come. Why stand you gazing, looking up? This same Jesus that has gone up will come again with the clouds. This is our Savior, the Messiah, the ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And listen to what the Ancient of Days tells him. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into, into his presence. We see that in chapter 4 and 5 in Revelation. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
Now, how does seventh? No, Jehovah's Witness came to my house the other day, a couple of them. And I said right from the start, listen, you don't believe Jesus is God? I believe Jesus is God. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, well, okay, we won't get into it. They worshipped this one who came into the presence of the Ancient of Days. You remember when John fell down in Revelation and, and worshipped the angel, and the angel said, no, <laughs> do not worship me. Daniel 7, they worship the Son of Man because it was Jesus, God, the Son. Now listen to what the Bible says here. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples, every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that never will be destroyed. Gang, there's a time coming when Jesus takes the rightful throne and all evil is done away with. God will rule in justice and in righteousness. It's on his thigh. Faithful and true and righteous. Can you imagine Daniel being able to see this vision? It blows him away. Chapter 8 is, I'm so weary, I don't even understand all this. But God is sharing it for him to write it down and for us to know and believe. Now, if you want to go to Romans 11... This is 11 11 chapters all about the gospel in Romans. And we get to the end. Early in the chapter of Romans, it tells us we've been grafted in as children of God with the Jews. You remember Romans 1? I'm not ashamed of the power of God or the gospel of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then the Gentile. How do I say this? When Jerusalem and the temple was torn down in 70 AD, the Jewish nation and people were dispersed. And that's why I believe theologians before 1948 said, replacement theology, God's done with the Jew. Well, I'll say it two ways. His covenant with Abraham was an eternal covenant, so he's not done with the Jews there. And then in 1948, miraculously, Israel becomes a nation again. Never before has a nation ever been obliterated and reformed in our history. But God is faithful that I will bring them back. Now, let me read you, and then I want to have a little bit of time of where we're at now. Romans eleven twenty-five. 
Paul talking to the believers in Rome. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Let me just share it this way. This hardening of the heart, you see that back in Pharaoh's day. God hardens the heart. It's not like Pharaoh or the Jews were knocking on the door saying, Jesus, let us us in. We want you. Their hearts rejected Jesus. They didn't want God. So God just holds back. Without the grace of God, no one would come to Christ. So that's what it's saying here. God's plan for Israel has not changed, but it's taken a little shift. Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come for Zion. That's the Jews. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Goes on to say, as for the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, the Gentiles. But as far as election, meaning God's chosen people is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. That means God's not sorry he made this covenant. He's not going to repent of what he decided to do. It's a sure thing. Please mark that down. God's saying, I will accomplish it. The Old Testament says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish these things. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, we didn't have the message of the gospel, of the cross. God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. John 1, 12 says this, He came unto his own, the Jewish people, but the own, the, his own received him not. So God made a shift, Gentiles. But as many as receive and become, has the right adoption become sons and daughters of God. That's a glorious plan. He's including us, which is including all mankind. Jew or Gentile, that's it. There's no other, no other choice there. So they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Now I want to share my interpretation of this. When Brian comes and teaches the next two weeks, he's going to have a sheet that gives four different interpretations. Here at Hope, the elders don't all agree on all the end time things. And I'm okay with that. We got to study, we got to know. But here's what we all agree on. Jesus is king. He's coming again. Who knows when? And he's going to rule and reign in righteousness. That is going to be glorious. 
It's coming. Um, what does that mean for us today? Here's what I say. You and I are living in the time of the Gentiles. We don't know long, how long that will last. There's a doctrine of pre-trib. In other words, Christ is going to come before the great tribulation. There's a mid-trib in the middle. Three and a half years, the Bible divides it in half. Three and a half years, three and a half years. Then there's a post-trib, that's after. And then there's an amillennium, even after the millennium is coming. You study and you determine what the Bible teaches. Um, and I'm open for that and I could be wrong. I'm a pre-trip. It's okay. We're not going to stand here at hope and have a doctrine about that. There's so many things about how that plays out through the scripture. Enoch being the first example, he was caught away. I believe, it fits the narrative well, that if Jesus calls his church away, Thessalonians talks about that, there's a catching away. Rapture's not in the Bible, but the word caught up means to rapture. If it's pre-trib and God calls the church up, God shifts his focus to Israel. That's my view. And it's not going to be a fun time. If I go through the tribulation, I'm working my heart to be prepared. Lord, do not let me turn away from you. That's what is neat about Brandon and Drew's testimony as being followers of Christ and believing in what he did on the cross to save them. We want to be followers no matter what happens. We cannot dictate or prophesy tomorrow. But what we can prophesy is that if I stick to God, he won't leave me. Nor will he forsake me. We sang about that. Great songs, Andrew. Where's Andrew? He was just here. Oh, he moved. That's not supposed to do that. <clears throat> because we have such a great hope in the one who has predicted thousands of years ago and we're seeing it come to fruition. <clears throat> Israel is a nation. Revelation says the world will hate Israel. They will Armageddon, the bottom of Armageddon. That's the fight of all the nations to come and destroy Israel. We are seeing that now. There's people that hate Israel. The United Nations took a vote on it. Wow. They're going against God if they're going to go against Israel. God instructs us to pray for the peace of Israel because it's his special nation. And we will play an incredible giant role in that. There's a lot to cover. You need to read it for yourself. You need to ask God to help you. <clears throat> and there's great help out there on the internet. Um, it's incredible what's out there and how it aids to the teaching 
of help, helping us understand God's word. <clears throat> I used to, in my teens, study prophecy immensely. And I think it's fascinating. It used to be my number one thing to say, God's real. I don't do that anymore. Prophecy is powerful. And what Daniel has, is teaching us is powerful. My question to you, to you and I would be, do you believe God's word? Do you believe it's true from cover to cover? If you believe it's true, then you can ask for help by the Holy Spirit to help you understand it, to help you to have him interpret it. But you can't do that without studying God's word. You and I want to be a force for the kingdom, salt and light. It's God's heart. It's God's will. And God will use us with just the simple things of loving people, being able to speak into their lives. Tell them the story of the gospel. We're living in a world where people say, what's going on? You can say, I have a good idea because the Bible says so. Here's what it says. This is what's coming. A denial of God. Mankind trying to rule themselves. Won't happen. We're going to mess up. But if we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it's going to take care of it all. Let's live in hope today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for this difficult passage in chapter 7 and chapter 8. But Lord, it's so vivid that you tell us ahead of time that these nations will rule, and they did, and they have. And you tell us of a coming Antichrist that will rule the world. But it's okay. We're in Jesus. There's going to be great persecution for the church. Help us to be faithful, strong, because we've been given eternal life. I pray for hope, Lord, that you would make us here men and women who are willing to do what it takes to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.